Well, welcome to everyone. If you're here visiting for the first time, we're so glad that, that you're here. Uh, for anyone who doesn't know, my name is Emory Davis. I'm the con uh, congregational care pastor, if you would, and uh, uh, have the privilege this morning of being able to share with you uh, from God's Word. As has already been pointed out by Pastor Noe, uh, James has taken upon himself to, uh, to address a number of topics uh, in this book. And, uh, and we're going to address another one of those this morning. Uh, I, I love James because James is a no-nonsense person. And, and James has a way of just cutting to the quick, getting past all the fluff, and coming right at us on these various topics. And uh, I suspect for many of us, if not all of us, by the time this series is over, we're going to be walking out of here with sore toes and... Uh, and our ears kind of battered around because that's, that's just how James uh, comes at us. You've heard that, the expression, uh, put your money where your mouth is. Well, James is one of those that says, put your faith where your mouth is. Or you've heard, uh, put up or shut up. James kind of says, faith up or shut up. Uh, he doesn't play. And, uh, and so, but again, as I was praying, one of the things that God does when, when he, when he brings these, these challenging messages is not to beat us down, but to grow us up and to conform us more and more to the Lord Jesus Christ, whom we claim that we, that we serve and that we love. And so that's, that's all he's doing. And so this morning, uh, we're going to find one of those passages that's, that's, that's pretty direct. And my, my big prayer is that I don't mess it up. Uh, I just want James, I just want to kind of, uh, you know, elaborate on a few things, but James brings it and so I'm going to let him do the talking, let the Spirit do the talking through him, and then we'll head up and let you all get out of here to lunch. Uh, James chapter 2, starting at verse 1, if you want to follow along. He says, My brothers, show no partiality as you hold the faith in our Lord Jesus Christ, the Lord of glory. For if a man wearing a gold ring and fine clothing comes into your assembly, and a poor man in shabby clothing also comes in. And if you pay attention to the one who wears the fine clothing and say, you sit here in this good place, while you say to the poor man, you stand over there or sit down at my feet, have you not then made distinctions among yourselves and become judges with evil thoughts? Listen, my brothers, has not God chosen the poor in the world to be rich in faith and heirs of the kingdom, which he has promised to those who love him. But you have dishonored the poor man. Are not the rich the ones who oppress you and the ones who drag you into court? Are they not the ones who blaspheme the honorable name by which you were called? If you really fulfill the royal law according to the scripture, you shall love your neighbor as yourself, you are doing well. But if you show partiality, you are committing sin, and you are convicted by the law as transgressors. For whoever keeps the whole law but fails in one point has become guilty of all of it. For he who said, do not commit adultery, 
also said, do not murder. If you do not commit adultery but do murder, you have become a transgressor of the law. Verse 12, so speak and so act as those uh, excuse me, as those who are to be judged under the law of liberty. For judgment is without mercy to one who has shown no mercy. Mercy triumphs over judgment. Come on, James. I should just give the benediction and we should go on. Uh, boy, he jumps right on it from verse 1. James says, my brothers... Show no partiality as you hold the faith in our Lord Jesus Christ, the Lord of glory. Well, what's James talking about here? James is talking about that central to this whole discussion is the claim that you and I make that we are followers of Jesus Christ, that we have a relationship with the Lord the King, Jesus of Nazareth, Christ the Messiah, the Redeemer, who dwells in the Shekinah glory, who is the Lord of glory. It's an Old Testament term, the, word, the place where God dwells is His glory. And James says, based on your confession, based on your statement that you know this Jesus, that you are a follower of this Jesus, and you abide, you dwell in His glory you ought not be showing partiality. Now, I'm going to talk more about that here in a few minutes. But he challenges us right from the start that if there is unchecked, unbridled partiality or favoritism or prejudice or discrimination in our life, something's not right. Why? Because partiality and favoritism contradicts the character, the conduct, and the consistent teaching of the Jesus that we say that we're following. Let me say that again. That favoritism, partiality, discrimination, prejudice runs counter to the character, the conduct, and the consistent teaching of Jesus Christ of Nazareth. He says it's, it's, it's difficult for that to, to play out. And one thing is I keep forgetting to say this. I, when I talk about the conduct, the model for how we ought to treat people is found in the conduct of Jesus. Oftentimes, we meet Jesus at the intersection of his crucifixion, you know, his, 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 uh, his death, his resurrection, and his ascension. But one of the things that I think sometimes we're challenged with is that we've not met Jesus in his incarnation. That we have not read through Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John and become like what I like to think of as a 13th disciple and watch and listen and, uh, and be a witness to how Jesus conducts himself because he shows us by his own life how you ought to treat those for whom he died. Uh, those of you who follow Olympics, uh, Alex and Felix is a female athlete, most medaled 
uh, in history, she's bad to the bone. And uh, when she has all kinds of preparation and work that she does to be able to do what she does so well. And so one of the things that she does before she runs a race is she finds uh, little rocks and pebbles and she takes those and she puts them in her shoes because that will help her run better, right? You're supposed to say, no, Emery. <laughs> no. So for a minute there, you thought I had, I had gone somewhere. No. That's crazy to think that any athlete who runs would take pebbles and put them in their shoes to run. What is James saying? James saying it's, it's, it's inconceivable. That those of us who claim to be followers of Jesus and understand his character, his conduct, and his consistent teaching would have unchecked, unbridled favoritism and partiality as part of our life. You, 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 you must not be the 13th disciple. You must not be hanging out with him. If you think it's okay within the church, within the, the community of, of, of fellowship of believers, that it's okay. And so he brings that charge right from the jump. Partiality in this, in this context, uh, or favoritism in some of the translations, it is, it is simply devaluing or valuing someone based on their outward appearance. It is their outward facing by which we evaluate who they are in terms of how we, how we engage them. I call it, it is, it, is, it is how we judge their face, their faith, their finances, and their fame. Their face, their nationality, the color of their skin, the clothing that they're wearing, uh, what kind of, their, their faith being, uh, and they, I don't, their face is their, their lifestyle. Or what kind of faith? They don't believe the same thing that you and I believe. They wear things on their head that lets you know that they're of a different faith. They have a lot of finances, and so we think we can get something from them. Or they have no finances, or they're poor. Or they're somebody or nobody in terms of their fame. Favoritism is, 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 is our engagement of folks based on their outward facing, their external conditions. And the Bible says that, that, that we ought not show that. Now, in the context in which James is writing and the culture around him, that's how they did it out there. That's how they do it in the world. That's how they roll. They look at people. They judge people on their outward facing, their external stuff, their nationality, their ethnicity, the color of their skin, how much money they have, poor or rich. That's how they do it. But what James brings home to us is that that has no, absolutely no business inside the community of those who claim that they have a relationship with Jesus of Nazareth. It's inconsistent with a community of believers. It has no more place in this place than rocks and pebbles in the bottom of Allison's running shoes. It doesn't make sense. It's not supposed to be there. I didn't say that. James is saying that. I just want to make that clear. And what he does is he gives us an example and an examination in the next verses. Don't know whether this is a, 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 a real situation uh, or, or just a, a parable, 
but it's a visible expression of stuff that's perhaps going on inside. And so he, he talks about uh, if a man wearing gold ring and fine clothing rolls up into uh, the church, into the assembly, and if uh, uh, a man with shabby clothes comes in and he says, and he says to the brother with the, you know, who's clean, who's GQ, the whole thing, if he says to him, hey, man, you, you come over and you sit right here. We got this all cleaned up for you. Got a little, little space there for you to sit. But the man in, 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 in raggedy clothes or, 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 or poor looking, he says, you, uh, you stand over there. Uh, or come sit at my feet. What's he doing? He's devaluing him. When you sit at somebody's feet, that means you're, you've raised yourself to a place of superiority and you're looking down on them. And oftentimes in these assemblies, the ushers would bring them in and they would seat them based on their external, their outfacing appearance. He says, when you've done that, have you not then made distinctions among yourselves and become judges with what? Evil thoughts. Have you not then made distinctions among yourselves and become judges with evil thoughts? Please don't miss what James is saying. What he's saying is, first of all, that we have created these artificial uh, judgmental filters by which we make distinctions. We put people in categories based on their external beings. Again, whether it's their nationalities, whether it's their clothing, whether it's the money they have, how famous. And so we've, we've put these filters up. And we've made these, we've created these artificial distinctions that God himself doesn't make. And he says to us, have you not become judge? and in many cases, jury, because of our attitude and how we view perhaps those who are different than us. But don't miss what he says at the end there. Where does this come from? Where does this, 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 this judgmental, this prejudice, this prejudging, where does it come from? What does he say? That it comes from evil thoughts. Prejudice, discrimination, favoritism, partiality, it is spirit-driven. There's a spirit behind that. And I assure you, listen, that it's not the Spirit of God. It is not the Spirit of God who lives within us, but rather it is the spirit of the enemy of our souls who fights against us and fights against God. There's only two spirit sources either the Spirit of God or the Spirit of Satan. Take some time and think about that. Partiality. Artificial judgments of people based on their faith, their face, their finances, or their fame. It comes out of evil thoughts. And the picture I have is, is we've been brought up with our families and our various cultures. And this stuff, he says, evil thoughts, it just sits and it just it percolates. In our various enclaves, it's reinforced. 
And we capture it oftentimes, maybe before we become Christians, but guess what? Once we become saved, once we become, we bring that with us into the church. And if we don't make the effort to manage that and to, to address that and, and, and to do a deep dive and understand where that comes from, we all do it. I do it. And I have to check myself, and the place that I primarily check myself in Scripture is with the life of Jesus. I look at how Jesus treated people. I often imagine that if Jesus showed up today, he would be hanging out in places, and we would have a hard time with the people he's hanging out with because they had a hard time in his day with who he hung out with. We need to check our hearts because James said that's where it starts. That's where it starts. But listen to his ongoing appeal. This is, don't let me mess it up, Lord. Do not let me mess it up. Verse 5. I've got to get the giant version of the Bible. Because, no, 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 you laugh. But this is the uh, large and then there's the giant. And so I, the, the large was working for a while, but I think it's time for the giant. Anyway, I'm sorry. Glasses and everything. It's like, where is that? Oh, there it is. If my, my wife is just like, no, he didn't. All right. So verse 5, listen, listen. I got you distracted. I'm sorry. Listen, my beloved brothers. Listen what he says. Listen who? My beloved brother, you can hear James pleading, listen, my beloved brothers, listen. Has not God chosen those who are poor in the world to be rich in faith and heirs in the kingdom, which he has promised to those who love him? Listen to the contrast. God has honored them. Oh, my gosh, this, is, this stuff is good. I don't make this up. He says, but you have dishonored the poor man. And he says, wait a minute, wait a minute. Are not the rich the ones who have oppressed you? Are, are not the rich the ones who have taken you to court? He said, wait, wait, wait a minute. Are not they the ones that blaspheme the honorable name of Jesus that you claim that you love? And yet you're giving deference to them? God has chosen, and the Scriptures in Ephesians tells us that God chose us before the foundation of the world, that we should be part of his family. It says that God has chosen them. He has honored those who are poor. In the early church, most of the, the church was made up mostly of poor. God has honored them and has promised that those who love him and have faith in him will become his heirs and that he will give eternal life. They, they are valuable to him. Why? Because Jesus died for them. Jesus died for them. He died for you, and he died for, for others. They are endowed with the imago Dei, the image of God. God has honored us. This kind of goes back to what I was talking about earlier this summer, is, is, is God calls us to this to understanding that we are common humanity. 
And His love and His grace extends to us all. Think about that. He has honored the poor man. He has honored those that we look at in disdain and that we show partiality in favor. He, he honors them. But look at what he says. But you, my beloved brothers, but you have dishonored the poor man. They are in direct opposition to the eternal redemptive plan of God. God honors, and these beloved brothers that he's speaking to, he says, you dishonor the very people that God has honored. What's up with that? God's very plan of eternal redemption is countered by those who claim that they have a relationship with Jesus Christ, the Redeemer. It is Allison putting rocks in her shoes. We're traumatized. Those who do that in the church are suffering from trauma. Why? Listen, you hear what he said? Wait a minute. These people that you're elevating and loving on, aren't, aren't those the rich people who abused you? Aren't they the ones that took you to court? Aren't, aren't those the people who, who, who speak badly about the Jesus that you claim, that you follow and love? He said that we're traumatized. It's like living in an abusive relationship. And we look at folks in that kind of situation and say, why don't they get out of it? And God looks at us and says, why don't you get out of that? It has no place in the community of faith. We find ourselves in abusive relationships in those that we esteem I know, I know. There's, there's, there's some good stuff in here that's coming. Because in the next, in verse 8, he gives a commendation, which is followed by a condemnation, but the commendation is there. Verse 8, if you really fulfill the royal law according to the Scripture, in other words, you shall love your neighbor as yourself, he says you're doing well. You know how we always say that when you, when you have to uh, confront somebody, you want to you have a positive and a and a negative in there. So the positive is, I want to commend those of you who, are, who, who have this, this common humanity with others, and you're loving them the way Jesus loves them. I want to give you a high five, fist bump. I want to... Okay? He says, not everybody's doing that. You, you, you know your heart. So for those of you who are doing it the way you're supposed to do it, loving the way you're supposed to love, James says, well done. Give you your props. You got it. But if you show partiality, James, you were doing well. But if you show partiality, you are committing sin and are convicted by the law as transgressors. You're a criminal. If you are showing partiality, if there's unchecked, unbridled disposition 
of favoritism, partiality, prejudice, ongoing in your life, James reminds us that that is sin. That that goes against the primary law, the royal law of loving your neighbor, your common human being, as yourself. You're a lawbreaker. Ouch. You just want to, how do I dress that up? Your neighbor is any and all human beings created in the image of God. Your neighbor is the one that you recognize that has a common humanity with you. You're fallen, you're broken, you're messed up, but God has saved you and redeemed you. And he wants to do that with everyone who comes into your space and into your life. Regardless of their face, regardless of their faith, regardless of their finances or regardless of their fame, we are to love them as Jesus loves them. He goes on in that passage to talk about the fact that failing in, in, in keeping one in the, in the Old Testament law, uh, you're supposed to keep all the, all the, the whole law, and if you don't, you're judged. And so he says here, you know, you could be keeping nine, but missing in one, and he says you're guilty of it all. And you may be journeying in your Christian faith and having a great time as a, as a believer and growing and coming to church and doing all that. But he says, if you're harboring and nurturing and not doing anything about unbridled, unchecked discrimination or prejudice or favoritism of people based on their outward facing, then he says that's sin. And you're breaking the law. And you need to address it. And this, listen, I think this is important to say. As, as, as toe-stomping and hard as, as this message and some of the others can be, it, it is not to beat us down, it's to grow us up. It's all about transformation, spiritual transformation, growing to be more like Jesus, from image to image, Paul says, that we might look more like Jesus, that our character and our conduct might be the same as the Jesus that we claim, that we follow, that we see in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. I challenge you to become the 13th disciple. That's where, that's where he wants us to be. He wants us to have a heart of God. And then he closes with this in verse 12 and 13. So speak and so act as those who are to be judged under the law of liberty. Don't miss that under the law of liberty, for, the, for judgment is without mercy to one who has shown no mercy. Hmm. Mercy triumphs over judgment. Well, what is he talking about? <laughs> He's talking about the law that was instituted when Jesus Christ went to the cross. And in Galatians, it says, it is for freedom that Christ has set us free. And the law of liberty is that our sins have been forgiven because they were cast on Christ, they've been paid for, we've been set free. We are free. So nothing we've done yesterday, last night, today, tomorrow, nothing, there is nothing that is not covered by the shed blood and death of Jesus Christ. 
on the cross. That's the law of liberty. So what does that say that I can do? That means that I can come clean. I can own. You know you're right, James. I do harbor prejudice and favoritism in my life. But I don't have to tamp it down. I can bring it out in the open. Why? Because Christ died for it. And that's all he wants us to do is to bring it out in the open. If I confess my sins, he is faithful and just to forgive me of my sins and cleanse me from all unrighteousness. He just wants to grow us up, y'all. And anything, whether it's this or some of the other things that James is going to be talking about in this book, if there's if there, if there sin, if there are things that there that we're not owning and releasing and confessing, it's going to hold us back. Or we might put on a good show, but I've lived long enough to know that it catches up. We smile, we wear the mask, but it catches up. He says, the law of liberty gives us confidence. He says, for judgment is without mercy to the one who shows no mercy. In other words, if we don't own it, He's going to hold us accountable. Now, he's speaking to Christians, and so there's not this judgment in the sense of deciding whether you go to heaven or hell. It's when we stand at the judgment seat of Christ as believers, and he's going to pull it up. Ah, Emory. Mm. Mm -mm. Mm. And, you know, when Jesus starts doing that, you're just like, hey, you know. But he says that we, we will be judged. Our works will be judged. First Corinthians chapter uh, 2 talks about that. 3 talks about that. He says if you don't show mercy, you won't get mercy at, at the judgment seat. But if you own it, mercy's yours. Mercy's yours. So there are three things here that I come out of this passage if you're taking notes in, in your nice little book. scared me there for a minute. That's why I love Pastor Noah. He does all this without notes. He's so good. He's my hero. Three main uh, points to take from this, from this passage. One, partiality is contrary to the character and conduct of Jesus. Partiality, favoritism, discrimination is contrary to the character and conduct of Jesus. That's the first one. The second one, partiality breaks the law of love and is sin. Partiality breaks the law of love, and it's sin. And then thirdly, partiality brings either mercy or judgment. Mercy or judgment depends on what we do with it. As with any sin in our life, if it's unconfessed, it's like a shackle. And we may be moving around, but we won't get very far. But God extends mercy. And so as we close this morning, um, it's always as, as Pastor Noy puts it out there, under the sound of my voice or, or perhaps those who have come this morning, been invited by a friend or you've been coming for a while and you've never received God's honor and His forgiveness 
and you've never, to your knowledge, placed your faith in Jesus and said, Jesus, I need you. Thank you that you went to the cross for me. And I need you. There's so much going on inside of me, more than just favoritism and all that. There's so much. But this morning, I own it, and I ask you to forgive me. And perhaps this will be the time that God would speak to your heart, the Spirit would speak to your heart, and you say, you know what? I need to give my life to Christ. I need to quit fighting it and let go. And perhaps you are those here who are, have been in our part of the faith community and you've trusted Christ. You know for sure you can mark the time. You know when you did that. But yet the Spirit has spoken to you perhaps in this category of prejudice, favoritism, partiality. It's not me. It is, it is the Spirit of God. And it's time for you to deal with that. And tomorrow it would be a good starting point to to recalibrate your life and move into loving humanity the way Jesus loves humanity. And so you just want to say to the Lord, Lord, I get it. Whether in this area or some other area that maybe he's been speaking to, this may be the morning that God would say, let's deal with that. And so I'm going to pray for us. And again, the pastors and leaders will come up front as usual. And if you say, I want to give my life to Christ, come up and let them know. I want you to pray for me. I'm a Christian, but well, I've been struggling with this, and I just need prayer. As God speaks to you, moves you, do accordingly. Father in heaven, we bow before you once again, thanking you for your love, your grace, and your mercy. Thank you for the power of the Word of God. Thank you for the Spirit of God that takes the Word of God and ministers it into the hearts of the people of God. That we might be more mature servants of God. Your Word is never meant to condemn or to put down, but always to call to repentance and to lift up and to grow up. And I pray that that's the Spirit that is received in this morning. Father, as your spirit circulates through this congregation, there may be those who have never committed their life to Jesus. They've heard about him. Their friends have talked to him about him, parents, others. Maybe this is the day that they say, I want to give my life to Jesus. Maybe some here that need to be baptized and say, this is, this is the time. You move, Lord, in the way that you want, and we'll be careful to always to give you the honor, the glory, and the praise. In the name of Jesus, our Redeemer and our friend, we pray. Amen. So the worship team is going to pray. You can stand to your feet. And uh, however God might be moving in your heart, respond accordingly. Oh, we thank you, Lord. Say, there's no shadow. Come on, sing it when we say. There's no shadow you won't light up. Mountain you won't climb up. Coming after me.